keep moving. Um, Judges chapter 8. I'm going to jump down into verse 22. I'm going to read about 10 verses. I want to talk to you about when winning becomes your enemy. Judges chapter 8 verse 22 says this. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings, the Bible says. So verse 25 says, they answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, or the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. And all of Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus, however, Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again during Gideon's lifetime. The land had peace for 40 years. Jerubbaal, son of Joash, went back home to live. That's Gideon. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash and Ophrah of the Abirazites. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to recognize actually how dangerous it is to win. We pray today that the pride that we might have come into this room with would be destroyed in Jesus' name. We don't want to fall. We don't want to be destroyed. So help us to put down all of our pride. Make sure that you are the one that receives all honor and glory because you alone deserve it. Because this doesn't just affect us affects those that are coming after us sometimes in a greater way than it even affects us and so help us today in Jesus name we pray and everyone said amen if you came to church today to not be offended this was a bad Sunday (laughs) to come to church Gideon says something very powerful here at the beginning of this story about where we're coming to the end of his life and right after his victory, you find this little moment where the people of God have decided that they want to make Gideon their king. But Gideon says the right thing, but he doesn't actually live a life that lines up with what he's saying. He's the definition of a hypocrite. Gideon, who started so well, 
who started as a weak person in need of God, desperate for God, is now ending in a place where in Judges 8 and 9, you see no mention of God's covenant name. You see no occurrence where Gideon has cried out to God, where Gideon has even laid a fleece before God. Gideon has now been consumed by his own ability that he has forgotten the God who brought him to where he was. And even in, even in saying, I'm not going to be your king, only God is your king, he lies because he immediately begins to act like a king. The Bible says this in verse 24. The Bible says that he starts doing this by saying, give me an earring from your plunder. He's taxing the people. Verse 27, the Bible says that he says that when he gets all of the gold, the Bible says that he makes an ephod from that gold. And he has now declared himself to be a priest, which only the Levites were allowed to be priests and wear the ephod. In verse 30, the Bible says that he has 70 sons from many different wives. You don't see normal guys in Israel with 70 sons and many different wives. And he's also got concubines because the son that begins to cause so much problem, so many problems after he dies, Abimelech isn't even from one of his wives, it's from one of his servants. So he's, he's saying he's not a king, but he's acting like a king. As a matter of fact, Abimelech, his son, he names him Abimelech, and his name means my dad is king. So it's like, I'm not your king, but I'm going to live like I'm your king. I, I want to say this to you because this has really been the case for me. Victory is my worst enemy. In every other case in Scripture, the people fell away when the leader died. But in this case, the people started to fall away while the leader was still alive. They didn't fall away because Gideon was dead. They fell away because of Gideon. The Bible says that that ephod he made, it became a snare to the people of God. And they started to prostitute themselves before it. And it led them astray. <laughs> One of our biggest problems with obeying God is that obeying God works. Right? And here's the problem. It will make you prosper. But who you become while you are prospering is what God is interested in. And most people don't fail the test of adversity. They fail the test of prosperity. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 10 through 14 say this. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good of the land that he has given to you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commandments, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase... And all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
He said, your biggest test is not going to be Egypt. Because Egypt actually brings out the best in you. Egypt actually brings out that part of you that becomes desperate for God. The best version of Israel was not when they had judges ruling them. The best version of Israel is when they were in that place where they had disobeyed God and were suffering the consequences of their disobedience and they became desperate for God. That was the best version of Israel. And sometimes the best version of us is the desperate version. Not the prospering version. The New Testament, Paul would put it this way. He said, I had this thorn in the flesh. And I asked God to remove it from me three different times. And every time God said no. You know what his reply to me was? He said, Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, God was saying to Paul, I'd love to take it away from you, but I've never seen you cry, I've never seen you cry like this. I've never seen you pray like this. I've never seen you this thirsty. I've never seen you this hungry. And God knows that for some of us, our biggest issue is not can we make it through our trials. Our biggest issue is who we become when we prosper. So Paul said, in order to keep me from getting a big head. My goodness. This is a tough message to preach in America because American culture sets us up to believe that Life is about the accumulation of things and wealth and status and degree and pedigree. But God's kingdom is completely opposite of that. God says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you have to be the least. Actually, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you have to consider yourself as the servant of all people and not the leader of all people. And Gideon, who was at first the servant of all the people, became the leader of all the people. And this was his downfall. This was his downfall. Luke chapter 14, Jesus put it this way. He said a certain master was going to have a dinner. And he invited a bunch of people to the dinner. And when the time for the dinner came, they said, hey, everybody, come on. It's time to eat. And the people that he had invited said stuff like this. They said, oh, man, listen, I just bought a house. I can't make it. Uh, I'd love to come to the dinner, but I just I just got five new oxen and I got to check on them, make sure it's make sure everything's good with them. Another group of people said, I'd love to come to the banquet, but I just got married. And so the Bible says that the master grew angry with those who made excuses for why they couldn't come. And he said, I want you to go out and I want you to find desperate people. I want you to go find poor people, lame people, broken people, hurting people. And I want you to tell the people who got the original invitation, the invitation is closed. This is why, this is why desperate is where you should remain as a child of God. Because God will walk right by talent to desperate. <laughs> God will bypass your money and he will walk right to somebody who's broke. Why? Because God is interested in people who are interested in him. God is interested in using people that are interested in giving their life to him. Now, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny. It's funny how we can get to this place because it's like we forget so quickly. It's, 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 it's so weird, these stories of how it's like 
18 years. How do you forget in 18, 40 years? How do you forget in 40 years? And the Bible says they would, they would, after the leader would die, they would forget God. They would just forget God. How do you forget? You forget because nobody's reminding you. You forget because you stop telling the stories. You forget that what used to be a miracle for you is now normal for you. And you are living in a miracle and you are acting like it's normal. And some of us just need to get the gratitude back that says, God, I don't deserve any of this stuff I have. If you never do another thing for me, you have already done too much for me. I want to be like that leper who in Luke 17, the Bible says that Jesus spoke and he healed 10 lepers. But the Bible says only one of them returned. And it's about the same percentage in the church, isn't it? Of people who are walking in the blessing of God, but people who actually turn back around and say thank you to God. About one in ten. And I just tried to, I'm trying to up that percentage today. I, I came to, to remind you that if God had not done what he has done in your life, you would still be dying in your leprosy. But because of Jesus, you have been made clean. And the rest of your life, you should fall on your knees in front of the Savior every day of your life and say thank you. Not just for the house and for the car. Thank you for the breath that's in my body. Some of y'all need to get gratitude for some little stuff again. Maybe some of you need to turn the water on in your house and just thank you for running water today. Thank you that the left side runs hot and the right side runs cold I just and and when we stop thanking him for the little things every blessing that doesn't turn into praise turns into pride but Gideon didn't start like this Gideon didn't start like this in Revelation you, you see this all through Scripture. You're seeing it in Judges. You're seeing it in the New Testament as Jesus is teaching. You're seeing it as the disciples or the apostles address the church. You're seeing it in the book of Revelation where Jesus is like, hey, I've got this thing against you. You're doing all of these things, but you have walked away from your first love. He's not desperate for me anymore. You're not acknowledging me anymore. And, and here's the danger, is that you always need a crisis to stay committed. So many of us are like, why is my life in crisis? Oh, it's because you need one. Because if you didn't have one, you wouldn't be in church. <laughs> oh, it's the people that aren't in crisis today who are cool to just stay home. I don't need God. I mean, they stream it. I'll just I'll just catch it on Tuesday. I'll just fit it into my schedule somehow. And somehow the God who gave us the breath in our body has to fit himself in our schedule. When he was small and he was weak, he didn't act like this, Gideon. What happened? Well, I told you in Judges 8 and 9, Gideon doesn't have one conversation with God. In Judges 7, and when Gideon is met by God, 
he's just constantly just, it's like, God, God, hey, 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 just want to check. Want to double check. Want to triple check. He's not, even, he's not even single checking anymore. He's just moved completely onto every idea of his. Must be God because after all, look how God is blessing me and prospering me and using me. And I think if we're not careful, we'll misunderstand God blessing us and using us as God's approval of us. Like Moses thought that because water flowed from the rock that God was okay with him. He found out a few verses later God was not okay with what he did. And sometimes you can assume because the water's still on that God's okay. <laughs> See, here's the thing about prayer that I found out. Here's the thing about your relationship with God. Relationship with God as a discipline is a great thing. But relationship with God as an act of desperation is better. Just, just this, this very obvious thing to all of us in the room. Nobody in here is having to remind themselves to breathe. Nobody's wife is like, hey, breathe. But a lot of us have to be reminded to go to, to the gym. Go to the gym. <laughs> That's an act of discipline. Breathing is an act of desperation. You don't have to be reminded to breathe. Because your body craves oxygen. So this is why the psalmist said, he said in Psalm 42, 1 through 2, he said, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? And most of us right now are not asking the question, when can I get in his presence? We're asking the question, when can I get out of this room? How much longer and you're in the first service and you know it has to end. And you're wondering, will this ever end? <laughs> in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is over at Mary Martha's house. And the Bible says that uh, Martha... She's pretty upset because nobody's helping her in the kitchen. She's trying to make a meal for Jesus and all of the guests. Martha's, Martha's a disciplined person. She's trying to do the right thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting to cook a meal for your guests, but she gets so upset that nobody's helping her. She goes out into the living room, and she sees her sister Mary on the floor, and she's like, Jesus. She's like, aren't you going to say something to Mary? Like, I'm in here working my tail off trying to prepare something for you, and she won't help me. Why don't, you, why don't you correct her? And Jesus is like, man, Martha, you are worried about a lot of things. But only a few things are important. Actually, only one is necessary. He said, Mary has chosen the better part. This is an act of desperation. I'll get to the meal later. Jesus is in the room. 
I'll get to Cracker Barrel when I get to Cracker Barrel. Jesus is in the I'll get to football when I get to football. I can DVR the game. I can't DVR his presence. I can't DVR what he wants to do in my life on a Sunday. So what happens to him? Because he's not desperate anymore and he's not weak anymore and now he's strong. Let me give you just a few things that happen as we as we begin to lose our desperation. Watch what he does. What he doesn't do is actually a clear picture because what he doesn't do is he not only is he not consulting with God anymore, he's not consulting with anybody. He's not even he's not even aligned himself with with other leaders to or formed a council. The Bible says that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And when you become an island to yourself and you you are you are the best idea you ever had. You are in a bad way when you aren't listening to other people's opinions or or, or asking advice from from people who are in leadership roles in your life. You are in a bad way. Proverbs 18 and one says it's so bad that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires and he breaks out against all sound judgment. I just need some time alone with the Lord. Sometimes that's an excuse to isolate yourself from advice, from counsel, from wisdom. A lot of people don't come to church because they just don't want to hear advice and wisdom. They, 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 and, and if they do go to a church, it's a church that's going to tell them everything they want to hear. That's why the Bible says at the end of time, you're going to have to look around and realize that people have itching ears. They're actually going to pay people to tell them what they want to hear. Aren't you thankful you go to a church where the pastor doesn't care what you want to hear? Oh, I love it. I didn't consult with you to see what you wanted to hear today. Hey, let me put in a survey and see what everybody wants to hear. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But you know what? I do have leaders that are going to listen to this message in my life and will call me out. Y'all, we have a presbyter. His name's Brian Green. And Brian Green will call me every now and then and be like, who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are? I remember this one time I was telling him I was mad at this guy that had done me dirty. And I was like, man, I did all this for him. And I made this happen. I opened this door for him. And he said, are you God? I said, no. He goes, well, you're talking like you're God because you said, I did this and I opened this door and I made this happen. How, How many, anybody in the room would just like to thank God for counsel? How many times has listening to somebody with some wisdom saved your life anybody just want to throw your hands up in the air and just say thank you jesus he's not asking anybody for help just running around isolated all by himself anybody that challenges him in the verses before the verses we read today he gets challenged by a couple of towns the bible says he tells him, he said, hey, okay, so, so since you won't do what I've asked you to do, when I come back through here and I've won the victory, 
He's like, I'm going to torture you with briars and with thistles. He actually pulled an entire building down on people and killed them. This is a Gideon who had, didn't even have to use a sword to kill his enemies, is now using a sword to kill God's people. What are we? What has happened? Watch some of the themes that start to become a reality in his life. He starts to get harsh with people who challenge him. Oh man, that's the sign of a leader gone bad. Christian gone bad. Can't take any criticism. Can't take any sort of challenge. And it's, be, it's because, here's the base of it. You don't really believe God is in control. You think you are. And if you're in control, every critic is a threat. But if God is in control, then a critic, what can they do? What can they do? He's harsh. I mean, he's not, he's not just harsh. He's killing people, defending his so he's constantly worried about defending his name because it's not about God anymore. It's about him. In Luke 9, the disciples get mad because they go into this Samaritan town and they're like, hey, uh, Jesus is coming through. Will you guys let us stay the night here and rest here and feed us here? Very similar to what Gideon asked of the people of Succoth. In the, in the, what a weird town. Where are you from, Succoth? Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's just rough. Oh, man, I'm moving. I don't know about you, but if my city's name is Succoth, I'm out of there. But this is very similar to what Gideon did. They wouldn't give him and his men bread, and so he promised them. He said, when I come back through, I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to take you out. In Luke 9, Jesus' disciples, they go in Samaria, and they're like, hey, Jesus is coming. Will you feed us? Will you house us? And, and they're like, No. And they go back to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, they said, they said, no, they're not going to give you a place to sleep. They're not going to give us any food. Hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Kill everybody in the town. When you read it, there's like it, there's like an excitement to how they say it. It's like, do you want us to just start killing people for you, Jesus? And he's like, bro, you don't even know what spirit you are of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You ever met anybody who has to tell everybody when they do the right thing? Like they could have done the wrong thing, but they posted it on social media that they did the right thing. <laughs> this, is, this is a sign that you are, you are disconnecting. Because... Because now you're, now you're worried about your reputation. Now you're, you're starting to worry so much about how people perceive you. And you have to let it be known that you did the right thing. They were in the wrong. But I was. Could I, could I just suggest to you that if you posted every time you were wrong versus every time you were right, you would have a whole lot more wrong posts than right posts. So if we're not going to post our bad days... 
How about we stop posting our victories because victories that we post lead to pride. Victories that everybody else has to know about, it leads to pride. Oh, man. Materialism. He's like, I want to be your king, but pay me a tax. Hold up. I don't, here, here's what he was saying. I don't want the responsibility of leading you, but I want your money. You know what I'm saying? You know, I want to pastor these people, but I don't want to preach to them and lead them. I don't want to prepare messages. I don't want to do any of that stuff. I don't want to pray for sick people. But pay me from their tithes. What are we talking about? Like, I, I don't want to lead you, but give me, give me money? Gideon, what in the world? has gotten into you. He takes the money, he creates this ephod made of gold. The people start to worship it because in reality, they're worshiping him. How quickly do they forget that how, how prone they are to worship things made of gold? And you and I are here today. We're like, I would never bow down to a golden statue. You do every single Week is called the dollar bill. You build your life around it. You build your family around it. You make decisions because of it. You literally bow to it every single week. Oh, man. I told you you shouldn't have came today if you didn't want to be offended. If you, it's easy if you're at home right now because you'd be like, oh, the Internet stopped working. Oh, the... <laughs> <laughs> and here in these, these types of moments, if you get up and walk out, everybody's like, yeah, he's talking to you. But it's, like, no, it's, like, it's one of those weird Sundays, isn't it? It's tough, but we have to examine ourselves every now and then because, man, we can, we can so much of our, of our Christian life is focused on getting the victory. But here's the issue. When you get the win, who are you becoming? When you finally got the house, did you did you pray more or less when you finally got the job? Did you did you come to church more or less when you when it finally turned for you? Did you or, or, or you or you and I like the people in Luke 17 where it's like, hey, hey, come, come, come for fellowship. And you're like, yo, I just got the boat. You know, I got a, it's Sunday and I, I got a, I just bought a house. I got a. I got to take care of the house. And the master's like, well, who gave you the house? Who gave you the boat? Who, who gave you this person that you're marrying? Who, who gave it all to you? And if you're not careful, the boat will become your downfall. If you're not careful, the car will become your downfall. If you're not careful, the house will become your downfall. Because your greatest test is not... Your trial, your greatest test is your blessing. What are you going to do when God gives you what you ask for? See, the thing you need to be most afraid of is not God saying no to your prayers. The thing that you, you should be afraid of is God saying yes to your prayers. Because who would you become if he gave you everything you asked for? 
Paul's like, there was a prayer he left unanswered and he said no to. Because he knew what answering that prayer would do to me. How it would corrupt me, how it would cause me to get my head would become too big and my heart would become full of pride. So he said no, because he knew what saying yes to that prayer would do to me. Wow. Idols are strange because they don't always start out as idols. Very often they start out as the thing that we perceive saved us. So you can turn a relationship into an idol. You can turn a preacher into an idol. No wonder people freak out and fall off and lose faith when preachers fall because they turn that preacher into something he was never intended to be. He did not save you. And I know even for men like Ravi Zacharias, who we found out later, oh, man, this guy is a weirdo. This guy did a lot of bad stuff. Man, millions of people came to faith in Jesus because of Ravi Zacharias. And then all of a sudden and now thousands of people are saying that they have left the faith because Ravi Zacharias wasn't who Ravi Zacharias said he was. Why are we so shocked when human beings act like human beings? I'm not shocked that Gideon had a fall. Gideon is a human being. I'm not shocked that Ravi wasn't who he said he was. I'm more shocked when people <laughs> finish well than when they don't finish well. And here's the thing. Ravi didn't save anybody. Gee, all those millions of people, Jesus saved. And if you put your hope in the person who delivered the message to you instead of the one who actually brought the message because of his sacrifice on the cross. Rabbi didn't die for your sins. Billy didn't die for your sins. No preacher died for your sins. Robbie didn't die for your sins. And the moment you make them into something they are not, they are now an idol. And God says you won't have any idols. And so no wonder they fall because God smashes idols. Here's the thing that the Bible is like repetitive about, but it seems like we just we refuse to get it. It's like God is not offended by your weaknesses. He's actually offended by your strengths. <laughs> so here's 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 the thing that we we should do. And this is this is contrary to the world. The Bible teaches us that we should weep over our strengths and boast in our weaknesses. That's why I love a person when you're just talking to them. And especially now in the day we live in, when you ask them a question, they just say, you know what, man, I don't know. What a breath of fresh air it is to hear a human being in 2022 who has access to Google say, I don't know. Because all of us have become prophet. We've all become doctors. We, we've, we're all politicians. We're all medical professionals. We're all business owners. We know what everybody should have done during the past two and a half years. And it's like, man, it's just refreshing to hear somebody go, you know what? I just, I don't know. Sometimes people are like, Robbie, what do you think God's trying to, you know, I don't know. I don't know. What's your opinion? 
you know, it's not well informed, so I honestly, I'd rather not even have one on this. I don't know. <laughs> it's like we have, we have all been infected with pride, not because of our struggle, but because of our excess. Proverbs 30, he writes this, he says in Proverbs 38, 9, he says, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. He says, give me only my daily bread. The worst thing about Gideon's story is not even what happens to Gideon. The Bible says Gideon dies at a good old age and he's buried with his fathers and he's 40 years of peace while Gideon's alive. The biggest issue with how Gideon lived and finished his life was what happened to his children. Judges 9 is one of the most tragic books in the entire Bible. Gideon's son, Abimelech, because what you approve of in moderation, your kids will live out in excess. Gideon's like, I don't want to be a king in name, but I'm going to be king in lifestyle. His son Abimelech comes along. He says, I want to be king in name. And he wants to be king so bad, the Bible says that he goes and he kills all 70 but one of his brothers, Jotham. Kills them all. And then he goes to the people of Shechem, where his mother was from. And he says, hey, I want to be king. And they make him king. And the Bible says that Jotham stands up on this hill and he rebukes them. He's like, all of this, all of the, your decision to align yourself with this pride and with this evil, this is going to come back on you. And this chapter is awful. Abimelech becomes the oppressor. He becomes what the Philistines and the Midianites were to the people of God. He's now the oppressor. Sometimes the greatest battles you fight are not on the outside of you. They're inside of you. Their greatest enemy was not outside of them now. Their greatest enemy was inside of them. And the Bible says that Abimelech, he gets so angry with the people of Shechem that he goes up one day and they escape into this tower. And he decides that he's going to cut these logs down and he props them up against the tower and he sets it on fire. And that day, a thousand men and women die in Shechem. But then he goes to another town and he tries to do it again. And this time, the Bible says that a woman drops a millstone from the tower and it hits Abimelech in the head. And Abimelech is so full of pride, he says, to his servant, he says, will you just kill me because I don't want to go down as the one who died from some random rock, from some woman falling on his head. Isn't it an amazing thing about God's justice? It may seem delayed, but it's never delayed. It's really always on time and it is thorough. Jotham says, he says, 
Y'all are going to pay for this. Abimelech kills a thousand people in Shechem. Shechem is the group of people that made Abimelech king. And then he says, Abimelech's going to pay for it. And Abimelech gets a rando stone dropped on his head. Do you remember at the beginning of Judges when we were talking about the woman who would kill the man in her tent? I just love the book of Judges because a bunch of women are just taking out bad guys all through this book. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge, isn't it, to to not allow the blessing to become pride. And one of the worst things we can do, not just to ourselves, but to the next generation, is allow that to happen in our lives. You know what your kids need to see more than their own bedroom? You know what your kids need more than a bunch of presents for Christmas that you go into debt for? You keep running up the Amex, but they keep having good Christmases, and all the while your marriage is suffering because you, you, anyhow, we don't want to. Do you know what your kids need more than a big house, a fancy car? Fancy lifestyle, a vacation to Disney World. Do you know what they need more? They need to see a mom and dad on their face before the Lord saying, we've got nothing if it's not for you. We're hopeless. We are helpless. We are useless. We are lost without you, Jesus. Oh, man, by all means, go to Disney, build the big house, but don't you ever let it become a source of pride in your life because just as quick as you got it, just as quick as Gideon got the victory in his life, changed for the good, it all came tumbling down because of pride. Pride, the Bible says, goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So if pride goes before destruction, then somewhere before the destruction, pride makes you think you're right. There's a stage of pride that makes you think you are right. Because nobody willingly runs into destruction. Gideon must have thought every decision he made was justified. Everything he did was right. Because look at what's, we've got peace, we've got. But Gideon, look at what it's doing to your children. Look at what it's doing to the future. And if we ever, if we leave anything for this next generation, don't let it be buildings and land, which I hope we do. Let us leave a legacy of desperation where we as a church said, God, we need you and your presence more than anything. God said to Moses, he said, hey, hey listen, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do great things for you. He said, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses turned to God and he said, God, unless you go, I'm not going. Because I don't want blessing without you. I don't want prosperity without you because I know what that does to my heart. And I know who I turn into 
if I don't stay connected to you. Anybody want to just stand on your feet today and just throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I need you today. I know that very often my lifestyle might not say it, but God, I need you. I know very often like, like I might not do it right, but God, I need you today. I know that maybe I've, I've acted like for these past few weeks or months that I, I don't need you as much, God, but the truth is I'm lost without you. I'm desperate for you. Like the psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul is thirsty for God. When can I go? When can I go? When can I go and meet with him? I just want to be with you, God. The psalmist would declare, this one thing I'm after, this one thing that I see. I want to be in your house. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to sit at your feet. I want to choose what Mary chose. I don't want to get so caught up in doing things for you that I forget you. I don't want to get so caught up in what you've given me that I don't remember you. Help me to remember you. Help me to remind my kids it wasn't my work ethic. It wasn't my good looks. It wasn't my good nature. It wasn't my mind. It wasn't my brilliance, but it was the mind of God. It was the heart of God. It was the grace of God that we're walking in what we're walking in today. Son, daughter, we've got nothing if it wasn't for the Lord. My life would be in shambles if it had not been for God. I'd be out of my mind if it wasn't for the Lord. I wouldn't be able to provide if it wasn't for the Lord. I'm lost without him. Son, daughter, I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Let that be our legacy, that we are nothing without Jesus. I want my legacy to be things and houses and land, although that's wonderful and I think that's fantastic. Do all of that. But I want the greatest legacy that I give my children and my grandchildren is the the desperate need that I had for Jesus. So Father, thank you. Even though it's difficult sometimes, thank you for reminding us that every blessing that we do not turn into praise turns into pride. Thank you for reminding us before we get in this horrible place that Gideon and Abimelech and this generation in this story found themselves before we ever get there. God, thank you for convicting us and reminding us and awakening us. Maybe we've, maybe we've left our first love. Maybe we aren't as desperate as we used to be. Maybe we've become so blessed in our problem isn't our trial, our problem is our blessing. Help us, God, to stay desperate, to stay hungry, to stay thirsty. That's why in the New Testament we read over and over that the Holy Spirit would would fill and fill again pray, God, that we would experience new feelings of your spirit, new encounters with you, new awakenings with you. I pray for those today that are like the prodigal and they are often wondering today. I pray that there would be an awareness in their life today. I pray that there would be an awakening today, that they would realize that better is one day in my dad's house than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day with you, Jesus, than a thousand elsewhere. God, I don't want stuff. I want you. I want things. God, I want you. I don't want the blessing if you aren't in it. 
want prosperity that doesn't involve you. I, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want a marriage that doesn't involve you. I, I don't want a job that, that doesn't ask. I don't, want to, I don't want to just work and go every day doing what I'm doing. This nine to five, this routine of life without inviting you into it every single day. God, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to try to fit you into my schedule. You are my schedule. You are my priority. Thank you today for reminding us that you are first. That you don't sit on a couch, you sit on a throne. You don't share your seat with anybody, not even with us. You are king, and you alone are king. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Every head bow, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you say, Robbie, I. And I need a relationship with God. I, maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. And you need forgiveness of your sins. And you need to become a new creature in Christ. You need for the old to pass away and the new to come in your life. Or maybe you're here today and you've given your heart to God. But you've been doing your own thing, walking your own way. And you want to make your way home today. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the room today. And when you throw your hand up, we're going to pray a prayer with you. And we believe in this moment that God is going to supernaturally begin to change your life. So if that's you, you say, I need, I need a relationship with God today. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Anyone else? I need a relationship with God today. Come on, let's pray this prayer with those who lifted their hands. Let's say this, dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. It all belongs to you. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and just thank God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. We love you. If, if uh, you need prayer or you made that decision today, we'd love to connect with you. You can come get prayer or you can text. They'll put it up on the screen for you. You can text the word decision to the number up there and we'll keep in contact with you. God bless you. We'll see you soon.